welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 57, which begins with Ash and crew trying to restrain Kane and ends with the crew trying to find the chestburster. And uh, we have our guests back again today. We have Katie Mello and Margaret Meyer. How are we doing today? Hello. Hello. Shall we just get right into the minute? This is it, right? This is the big. This is, this is the this, big yes, moment. Yes. I believe you could. It could be argued this is the big, the biggest minute in the movie. So we're quite we're honored yes. that we get to do this minute. I'd like to say thank you for letting us have this. <laughs> what may be the biggest minute in the movie comes halfway through the film. It's like, what are we gonna do to top this? And to the credit of this movie, they have multiple tricks up their sleeve to spin out for the next hour of the picture. I mean, it is one of the things that makes the movie such a, I think, a, a genius movie. Oh, yeah. The ideas do not stop here. It's funny that, that Ridley Scott, number one reservation in, in making Alien was the, the rubber suit problem. Um, he was worried that the man in the rubber suit would ruin the movie, and I, I think that's appropriate to this minute as well. You've got to be a little worried about a puppet carrying such a big moment of your movie, wouldn't you think? Oh yeah, I'm all about the puppets. <laughs> oh, I know, but they're not. But they're not easy to execute, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's pretty interesting too. How, just in terms of the editing and the fact that there's six cameras covering this, how long they wait before they finally give us the big shot of the creature. You know, it's it's pretty extraordinary. It's a lot of fireworks visually in this thing before you ever get that you know, that climactic shot of, of, of it and, and the teeth and, and the tail well, and everything else. When you do see it, it's such a beautiful close up, and it gives you a minute to, you can focus on it. It's maybe only five seconds, but you really can look at it for a second and you just have that feeling of like, what? Because it's not so quick that you don't even see it and it's so brightly lit. Yeah, there's nothing, they couldn't hide anything. It had to be spot on. And it was. Yeah, and like, what is that thing? Mm-hmm. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, though. <laughs> right, we're not quite there yet. Right now, you know, the first part of the minute, Kane is still convulsing. There's that horrible groaning, like almost, uh, it's a sound that's almost like, doesn't seem to really be emanating from him in a strange way. It's eerie in that way. It's like a room sound, but it's emanating from his chest. And, yeah, it sounds uh, like a in a... In an empty cavern. Does yeah. it sound like your stomach just before that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and there's some otherworldly happening in the sound there. I think it's a nice build-up. Like, the first time you're watching this, you've got to be curious. That sound's coming up. It's got to kind of make your skin crawl for just a moment. If you're uncertain as to what's going to happen, and then, boom. I think that's a nice lead-up. I don't actually know if I noticed that particular sound effect in that sequence because I was so caught up in watching him thrash and just being scared. Well, it feels like it's so, um, like, guttural, but that's not the word, like, instinctual. Like, just a, you don't necessarily hear it, but you know it's happening. Well, and then those sounds that he makes where he's doing that, blah, 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 like his tongue is spasming on top of that, it's, it's really disturbing. Well, yeah, and everybody's leaning in trying to get a, a spoon or a fork or whatever between his teeth so he doesn't bite his tongue, right? Yeah, that's that's Ash's first move. Uh, we didn't actually talk about it in the last minute when Ash springs into action. I did notice. I've never noticed this before. He just tosses Lambert, like tosses her out of the way, and then jumps right in with that spoon. 
understandable. But I've seen, um, I've had some friends uh, with diabetes, um, uh, epilepsy, and so on. I've seen some seizures, unfortunately. It's so horrible. It's yeah, really horrible. It really is. But this this is not like, I mean, his performance, I, I've never heard John Hurt talk about, you know, what he put into this moment as far as performance. It's something else altogether. He's, put, he's putting more into it than I've ever seen in a... You know, in this kind of a convulsion and that that uh, uh, uh sound, I, I clearly that's coming from something inside. You know, <laughs> and the sound as well, the the that's emanating from inside of him adds that quality where it's feeling it feels more like it's something internal and not almost like he's not even vocalizing that part. But. Well, in the first shot, the first blast of blood is really weird too because it's almost sounds like a gunshot. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it, it's not at all organic it's very mechanical kind of sound you know but actually they did actually use an explosive yeah yeah but i mean i don't know whether you know is that the live sound of it or not but you know we've talked before about how there's this really interesting mix of mechanical and organic for all the different sounds that the egg you know when the egg makes this, this weird sound when it opens up with this with this creature sounds like and what this entire process is like is this weird mix of mechanical and, and organic that's interesting i never thought of that before yeah do we want to make a guess a physiological guess as to what it is that causes that first burst is that the uh, sternum crack just as we're talking about it right now i'm curious as to what would cause that explosion <laughs> like what part of cain gave way there oh. to cause that does the creature already have its little tongue with its you know its proboscis tongue that smashes through something yeah because it doesn't have i mean the arms they're just little nubbins there's nothing it only has a mouth it's basically all it has so i do think in the documentary that's on the blu-ray for alien um veronica cartwright gives this tale of you know the pre-production like leading up to shooting this scene and her and sigourney weaver went to the puppet shop to see the puppet and she says that the mouth came out. I'm just realizing that now that you say that, Mitch. I believe that was the intention to show the mouth. I think it's good that they saved it because it's a much better moment later. I don't think we need to see a tiny little like proboscis yeah. come out. But that was the initial idea, apparently. So that does make sense, Mitch. That maybe that little popped out mouth that it has made that first burst. As a puppet maker, I don't believe... I think she just meant open because that would be a whole lot of rigging mm-hmm. to have it hide, to have that be able to hide all the way in there and to be able to come out and open. And that would take up a ton of space. Sure. And it's not a very articulated puppet. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. only opens. It's like I was, and I was thinking it's like one of those plastic shark claw. toys. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm, I'm, so it's a very doable puppet. It's very simple. And that to have an extending mouth that then also opened itself would be quite a bit of work. And everything I've heard, Ridley Scott uh, really heavily storyboarded everything. So I would be surprised to find out that he had that and that they didn't use it because yeah. that would be a lot of work. Maybe it just uh, never worked. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you're right and they were trying, but it never maybe, worked. I don't know. Yeah, maybe in the um, varval stage like that, it can actually shoot some of its acidic blood out oh. and sort of dissolve part of your sternum and then... Headbutt its way out. Headbutt. <laughs> Maybe it just created a lot of that. Yeah. Somehow that acid, the way stomach acid, created a lot of pressure. Spit okay. through him. But the acid oh, oh, spit. Possible. Like a yeah. Jurassic 
Yeah. It does. We, you know, we were when the face hugger first attaches itself to his helmet um, earlier in the derelict ship. That's what we've discovered in our research. That that's what was the initial idea was that the the proboscis would come and attach to the it attached to the glass the visor and just secreted just enough acid to get through the visor. And so it makes sense that it seems to regulate small amounts of acid for different purposes. Yep, so that's yeah. a good theory. I like that one. Boom. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I, I also noticed that the that the, the tail, which is, you know, I'm sure the same piece of the same tail that's at the end of the facehugger that's around Kane's neck, that uh, the same design anyway, really also helps create a sense of continuity between the facehugger and now the, the chest sure. burster. And I, and I love how... I just love how much it looks like a, a snake, you know, and how much it reminds us of a cobra, and yet it isn't. I mean, it's, again, that the uncanny. There are things about it. I mean, between the phallus and the, and the snake, there's two things that are kind of recognizable but not quite, and it's one of the things that I think makes it so unnerving, the way it's designed. I would, I, I would say it looks like an umbilical cord. Oh, Which yeah. makes perfect yeah. sense. I mean, re- relational, yeah, relationally speaking, that's perfect. Uh, it's clearly a birth scene. Yeah. So. Which I have a lot to say about that. Yeah. I don't want to get too far ahead starting to talk more about that puppet. Yeah, let's talk about the puppet. Well, it's not out yet. Oh, so can we talk about it? I think it's out. It's out. As far as I'm concerned, it's out. What else do we have to say? I do want to talk. (laughs) I I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about, you know, one of the the famous stories about the production of Alien has to do with this scene and what the crew or the cast – um, knew and what they didn't know mm-hmm. going in. So, well, while we're on the subject of that initial pop, uh, I was under the impression for a long time, it's definitely apocryphal, but I was under the impression that somehow they had kept what was going to happen from from the cast. For a long time, I thought that was true. Because well, they knew something was going to burst out, but they yeah. definitely didn't know about the amount of blood. They, didn't, not- know, they didn't know about the squibs. Yeah, that was- well, squibs, actually. Yeah. The shot, it's a, that fake chest cavity actually had a ring of copper tubing in it. Okay. And there were six gallons of blood. And so it shot up into that ring, and there were various nozzles pointed at different directions in that ring. So that when it burst through, that's where you get that incredible arc, that three-foot spray of blood on Lambert. Right. The, you're saying the, early, the very first one that just kind of pops, not that comes through the shirt. That one, the, in the documentary, they called it a cap. They said that. Okay, that one is. I'm, okay. I'm actually bursting through scene. <laughs> and that's the one when you get that shot, you have that that three shot over Kane's shoulder of Parker and and Dallas trying to hold him down, and you get the great response and the break. That momentary like stop, everybody stops, just looks. That's the moment they did, they didn't know. I mean, I guess uh, Tom Skerritt did. But of, of all the cast, they didn't know that anything was going to explode on the set. So that's apparently a very authentic reaction when everybody stopped and went, what? Yeah. And it gave and Scott a cutting point, too, apparently. That was important to change the setups and so on. So it ended up working out very well. That would be very surprising because they're all so hunched over him. And they're like, what's mm-hmm. what? And then, like, have something, what? what? Splatter out of you. What? It's such a, a good natural surprise. Yeah. And and then you know if you want to move on that you're talking about then that copper ring and all that blood and Lambert, of course poor Lambert, she has to be in the in, in the way of the most the biggest spray of blood. 
that she wasn't aware that she they said that you'll get a little blood on you dear i think is the exact words of the effects guy to her if you're standing there you'll get a little blood. of course it was a ton and she had no idea and she actually fell she slipped she, and fell feet straight up in the air because she had no idea i think it was probably extra shocking because that cavity was packed full of um kidneys and livers and intestines and it probably smelled they said they used formaldehyde but it must have smelled terrible too yeah that was veronica cartwright said when she walked on the set that formaldehyde was all she said that it was pungently uh smelling of formaldehyde in there so Ooh, i love it when the star wars minute guys ask what things smell oh. like <laughs> what did this it's funny, I, was gonna, I wasn't thinking about it. They do. Alex does that all the time on the Star Wars. Thank you for mentioning them, by the way. We haven't mentioned them yet this week. Um, but uh, in the novelization, they do talk about the smell. And I, I didn't really appreciate it at that point. I was like, this, is, this scene works perfectly fine without that extrasensory. Uh, <laughs> the, the idea of the smell of, of Kane's innards is not pleasant. Thought. Well, is it in his stomach or is it in his intestines at what uh, what is it breaking out of? it seemed like it came out from under his sternum it's true it was in his upside. so was it in his lungs because i have a little cold and i can tell you if there was a whole alien in my lungs right now i would <laughs> you believe think it. i might know about it <laughs> well it, go, it went down his esophagus right and they said that was and it was feeding him oxygen with that with the tube and so yeah that's a good question does it rip would it it could have, I guess it could could go to the, could go to the stomach or it could go to the lungs, couldn't it? Is he the smoker? Maybe he just always feels like that. Yeah, really. He's the smoker. He's definitely the smoker. <laughs> no, are, you, no. are you saying there was a sly PSA not, not to smoke going on in the subtext here? You won't even know you have an alien in your lungs. <laughs> well, I think th- that this is a good moment to maybe throw it out to uh, listeners. If anybody out there is a doctor, anybody out there that has enough of an understanding of physiology, like, tell us what you think. Like, what? It, it would have to be the lungs or the stomach, right? There's only the two passageways. Um, it wouldn't be floating free in his chest cavity or anything like that. So, it must be stomach one or the other. Because of the acid in the stomach. I mean, a creature with acid in its veins, possibly it likes to incubate in a, an acidic. That could be. So, as the creature comes out, and then we'll, we can talk about the puppet at yeah. length. I do just want to want to mention what's the first thing that Ash says as oh, what, Parker goes it, for the knife. Don't touch it. Don't yeah. touch it. He's always trying <laughs> to protect the crew from all the acid. Sure you know, he is. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. He, he's <laughs> always right. got a good excuse, but he's always prote- very protective of whatever alien is on board the ship. <laughs> you know, he goes very quickly into preserving the alien mode so we want to talk about the puppet some more was there more to say can we talk about metal teeth it has metal teeth yes yeah Uh, i read a really great review that said it had enough teeth to perturb a responsible orthodontist (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty funny it's a nice little grill he's got that's for sure it's nice and shiny there was a still of of this puppet this shot in some magazine, and I cannot for the life of me remember what the magazine was, but in 1979 or early 1980, after the movie had come out, and, and so people kind of, everybody kind of knew about it, so the picture showed up in a few places. And someone wrote into the magazine, into the letters, and said that they thought the magazine was always something that was tasteful, uh, <laughs> but when they showed that mutilated penis 
they decided they were going to cancel their subscription to the magazine. And I can't remember what magazine it was. Maybe it was Time. I don't remember. Oh my just, god! Just thought I'd throw that out there. You know, it's all context. <laughs> it was like, oh, it was like Time Magazine. Some, I see. Some I was leg- picturing no, some legit magazine. Yeah, and wow. some somebody didn't know really what they were looking at, and that that was what they decided it and, was. And I, I hope H.R. Giger heard the story. I, he would take great glee yeah, in knowing that, that somebody took it that way. I'm sure. It's a good segue to character design. So, yeah. um, this I would say because he said Giger, his designs really looked like a plucked chicken. And they were not very, they did not, I don't believe that it was his designs. I believe it was Rob Cobb. Am I incorrect about that? Cobb? His well, designs who became the real ones, and they were based on the painting. Yeah, actually, I think Ridley said, told Rob Giger. Cobb. I thought he told Giger. I think Ron Cobb his, made the Giger sketches on Giger's. Yes. That was the and then Ron Cobb. Right. So it's based on three studies for figures at the base of a crucifixion by Francis Bacon. Wow. Which you should totally look up because it's crazy. Beautiful and disturbing. So it's these paintings yeah. of these, and who knew that there was creatures at the base of the cross? Like I don't know, man. And this is I was talking with uh, an artist friend, and we were. It was painted in 1944. We were saying, well, this is a lot of artists sort of responding to the horrors of war and mm. like crazy stuff that they saw. And these three creatures, they're just they're horrible, and they look very much like. The chestburst, or one of them in particular, you yeah. really see I think that. I always interpreted them as blurry figures in motion. Oh. Some sort of agony and writhing. Oh. And not necessarily to be read as a creature. But, I mean, they definitely look like creatures. But, yeah, that's what Giger based his designs on. And then Cobb perfected it to the... Yeah, his looks really more... And then I was, uh, on that same documentary that you were mentioning on the Blu-ray, uh, they were saying that he up until the very last moment had little arms and when you make puppets if things aren't armatured they can get really doingly really fast <laughs> and they were saying they even look like little tyrannosaurus little dinosaur arms and so at the last minute they just snip snip snipped them off and you can see he's so he's got, got little nubs, little nubs and they're held very tightly mm-hmm. to his chest but what it is is that's what's left mm-hmm. and they look like a little bit like chicken wings mm-hmm. and it's so much more effective because if he had doingly little arms that would have you know those little finger puppets yeah. that are monsters <laughs> it would have had that jiggly feeling that would have really taken away so that was a really great choice to cut those things off yeah yeah i actually think if they would have tried to art even articulate any limbs or anything it might have killed this i think it would have looked like space balls it would have looked that's exactly what i was thinking it would have started dancing (laughs) like the wb frog um yeah i think the i think the mouth is all we need that's all we needed to move really to be articulated that's if it would have been more than that i think it would have been distracting and kind of laughable so it's a good thing considering it is just it's like a popsicle on a stick Mm -hmm. that's well, in that initial shot when we're really tight on the creature, they have the tail wrapped around it so that as he emerges, it unwinds from yeah. him. It just it gives a really simple puppet a sense of ha- being it alive and creepy. slimy. And, exactly. Yeah. I agree. That's what I noticed. And the idea of it being coiled up, I believe, that they intended for it to sort of pounce out away when it runs away. It's the idea was it was a coiled snake, and that was supposed to accelerate it away. But I don't know if that really comes across in the in the scene, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's interesting, too, is since it doesn't have any eyes, it it moves as if it's looking around. And that's a really weird like disconnect in, in your brain. Like 
it's looking around, but it doesn't have any eyes. You know, it's, and, you, and then there are those teeth. And but then, then, of course, the, it makes a noise, too. But then the mouth opens, so is it yeah. is it kind of tasting the yeah. environment around it? Is that what it's where it gets information? Micro changes in air density, perhaps. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I imagine it like pit viper, like maybe it senses heat. Yeah. Yeah. Micro changes. Are exactly. <laughs> Well, do you think it's sensing the body heat off every? It kind of took a tally of how many people were in the room, <laughs> and then said, "I got to get out of here." So, as a puppet, another puppet thing. This is a really doable puppet. Um, often, people come to me and they want to make their own puppets, and I'm like, "You're way too complicated. You need to simplify this." This and this whole scene, actually, I was thinking, "Boy, you could really do this as a Halloween thing oh, yeah. because it's quite." Everything's in camera, and, and his mouth just opens and closes. And he and the face hugger are really almost just the natural latex color. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, basically, if you wanted to make an alien at home, you would just do a sculpt, do a mold, do a brush in of latex, which is the simplest way of doing it. And this was before they had foamed latex. So this was just a, you, so you make a mold and you brush in latex and let it dry and brush in latex and let it dry until you get a thick enough skin and then you just open it up and boom. You Although we it. probably make it out of silicone these days to give we, it that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you were going to do it, this is so doable, this oh, yeah. kind of thing. It's totally doable. It's like a Halloween thing because then the gag later, uh, well, I mean, now as it's coming out where he is in the table and his chest is fake and there's a puppeteer underneath. It's all very, very doable, and it's so great because it's in camera. And I just think if this, also, I love puppets. If this was CG, I just, I would. It's so cool because it's there. That's right. And we're yeah. Kinds of practical effects. Really yeah. there. Yeah. I think there's a chance. You know, let's say this movie was being made today. I think there's a chance Ridley Scott would go for the practical effect. Um, I believe. I believe the thing in Prometheus that's, uh, I, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but the thing that's above her when she's on the operating table is practical. <laughs> there is a lot of, I'm the only one in the world, I like Prometheus because it has so much practical stuff. Well, and I, I'm just a sucker, I love it. My question is then, so if, if you were on the crew to make this movie today, how would you make it now? How would you improve upon this, but keep it practical? It would be fancier materials, but very similar, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think we would use silicone because oh, yeah. it has a translucency and it would make the skin even more. And you could get veins underneath mm -hmm. that you could see, like your eyeball, like yeah. you get like real. Ooh. We might be tempted to articulate, put a little armature in the little nubby arm. Yeah, we could give it a little dinosaur hands. <laughs> yeah. and, th and that's what, you know, if that's what really Scott wanted, you could give it to him now, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that makes you think. You know, if Steven Spielberg was making Jaws now, wouldn't that sh would that shark be jumping out of the water all the time? Oh uh, my gosh. And wouldn't that have made it a worse movie? So yes. these <laughs> yes. are products of the time. So I, I, it's it's thankfully Alien was made in 1979 and not 2016. Less is always more to me. Yeah. Well, and another really great thing about this this shot in particular is reminiscent to me of my, one of my favorite movies in the whole world, which is The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, which of course has their chest burster scene, which is... Chest chomp it's a chest chomper. Chest chomper, which is the coolest sure. thing ever. And both that and this are heavily, heavily storyboarded. So the director said, this is what I want to see happen. This is the one angle I'm going to get it from. 
and therefore the people that built it and lit it and everything could just focus on that um, and then that's how it worked. If you were standing on the other side of the table, if you were standing where uh, Parker's standing, it would have looked just weird and not right. But the camera is in one place and it only plays to the camera and that's how it worked. And then that's my big complaint wah, 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 about <laughs> digital stuff because they, they decide so much of this in editing and so they get full coverage and we'll go around the table and look here and here and here and, and then we'll decide later where we're going to have the alien come out. But so much of that work has to happen ahead of time by the director if you're going to do it practically and, and you're going to make it work. And I think in this scene and again in, in the thing, it just works so amazing. It's so good. Yeah, no arguments here. I love the thing so much. I just love I the movie. We really love the thing. I can't believe that they made this movie on the budget that they made it on. Only eight weeks of pre-production and right. then they shot it and originally they were planning on 10 and it went to 16 weeks is my understanding. That takes us that to make a commercial. <laughs> I know. That's insane. Yeah, it's, it really is amazing. It, it, the, the, there is such economy and such planning, you know, even even just in the, in, you know, yeah, he's covering this with six cameras, but if you look at the angles, it's it's not six crazy different angles, you know. It's really just, it's a very economical approach to, to how this stuff is covered. And, and I'm going to be a buzzkill now, and suggest that that we after this incredible reveal and the slithering tail and the sound and everything else when the cracking crack yeah all that's so great and then it kind of beep beep and runs like the roadrunner in that crazy shot across the table and the tail looks rubbery and it's dramatic hose in the tail apparently to make it flick flick around Yeah. yeah look a little silly it it does and it gets and it always got a laugh and 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 you know what you probably were going to get a laugh anyway because the tension was ratcheted up so high and it's so shocking the image of it that probably whatever you're going to do is going to get a laugh so it shoots out really fast and then the real impact comes in the reactions of the different people i mean it again back to the thing it's that kind of uh you got to be fucking kidding me that the guy says after the spider head walks away uh, and and the audience did in every time I've ever seen it with an audience, the audience laughs at, at because they have to release that tension. The look on every even Ash, even Ash is shocked. His mouth is agape. Now he's the only one that gets the isolated reaction shot too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, because it's just yeah. What do you even do after that? Like, uh... there is one shot of. Harry Dean Stanton, you want to mention that? Yeah, so, okay, so we were talking about the the natural reactions of the cast because of their lack of awareness of exactly how this was going to go down. So everybody's reacting in in their own way, and uh, you get, like, Ripley is appalled after the, you know, after the chestburster. Parker is ready to attack. Dallas is just stunned. Uh, We already talked about Lambert. Harry Dean Stanton, nothing. Absolutely (laughs) nothing. He's staring at it like, what? I think he would control his stomach because apparently after that take he went over and threw up. Interesting. Yeah. I could see then that being the reaction because I'm wondering, I, I love, we talk a lot about how great Harry Dean Stanton is in this movie. He's a great actor. And I wondered, what was his choice there? That's an interesting, uh, if it's holding in the vomit, then it totally makes sense. Because when they cut to that wide shot of them all, you know, like what, going like, what the fuck just happened? And he does give it a performance there. He is, watches it go, and he's kind of bug-eyed, and he's like, holy shit. 
which is just markedly different than the wide <laughs> shot from earlier. So I was curious. I wanted to explore that just for a second and say, what, was his what were his choices there? But man, if it was holding back vomit, then that makes perfect sense. Well, let's just say it was his brilliant acting. <laughs> hey, you know, you use, you use what you can. If it's yeah. nausea, then you use it. <laughs> so I wanted to bring to this conversation, I think I have a slightly unique um, point of view on this scene, and especially watching it uh, minute by minute. I have given birth to two little boys, vag style, as my friend said. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, um, really thinking about this movie and issues of motherhood, and then watching this minute, I was like, oh, wow, I can see a lot of parallels to my own experience, which was a positive, a very positive experience. But um, so here, here's what I think about that. When I was looking at the script, the shooting script, there was a quote from someone named W.H. Auden, who was a poet in the 30s. I'm not familiar with him. And he said, science fiction plucks from within us our deepest fears and hopes and shows them to us in rough disguise, the monster and the rocket. So I would say for thousands and thousands of years, millions of years, forever, women died in childbirth. And they would die horribly in pain and something coming out of them. and your friends and loved ones would be surrounded by you and maybe they could try to help, but in the end, there's really not a lot that they can do. And I would say, um, because this one is a man having this experience, then now men suddenly, oh, okay. And I would say all these people now are standing around, they're watching this, and in some part of their mind, they're saying, that could have been me and that could be me. And I would say, you know, for years that was the women who were taking place who were in that birthing situation that could be me next year that could be me that could have been me like I, I feel like this is a really deep fear and it's not one that I think is discussed in other places particularly and I think it's really amazing that this is such a mainstream movie and obviously this isn't overt but once you see it it's like oh wow like and and I I think obviously men wouldn't want to lose their wives or mothers, but I, I do think it's more of a feminine experience that this this experience could you could die. Well, this, this. is this maybe what makes this movie possibly more disturbing to men is because the idea of being impregnated it could be by that. your through your mouth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. Birth birthing this thing through your chest, not even where it's. I mean. Well, and then, so, okay, so through the chest, and I would, then, this happened in 1979, and I think, and I didn't write down the number, but uh, cesarean sections started becoming a real mainstream thing, and now they're one in three births are cesarean section, and um, at this time, I think men were just starting to be present at births, right. which yeah. they were just, you know, madmen waiting around in the waiting room, uh, and women often were even asleep, and... But now men are being present there and, and experiencing this themselves. And women are being cut open from the stomach. And then boop, this you know, toaster, bonk, baby's coming out, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And I would say I remember having, I, I think I'm quite a rational person. And I did the studying about birth and all this stuff. And I really was like in my heart of hearts, I was kind of sitting there going, yeah, I don't really think that this thing can come out of there. <laughs> like, I know it probably will, but boy, I can't quite grasp that. 
<laughs> yeah. And, you know, and interestingly enough, the, the same year, 79, uh, was Cronenberg's The Brood, which is another total birth horror meditation oh, right. on family and childbirth and all sorts of stuff. So you got to assume that this was on, on some level, this was sort of vibrating in the popular conscience. Yeah, what was happening right then then? Was it just that men were starting to be in the, in the room? I mean, that would be my guess. Because before they'd never been a part of it. I think that's probably one of, one of many factors. And I went, when, what year was Roe v. Wade? 72? 73 or 72, I think. Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff out there that was kind of informing these fears and these reactions at the, at the time. I mean, uh, it's, it's a primal thing. I yeah. Mean, you see it in, yeah. in films or even earlier, but like, we're, I think it was like Rosemary's Baby and the, these ideas of birthing something as a source of horror. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's just primal there, but it does seem to be pretty focused here in 1979 and specific. And, and Where then, has that been, though? I feel like in popular culture, I don't, maybe I'm mistaken, but I don't feel like I see that very much anymore. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Maybe it's become, because it's right. become kind of commonplace. Well, yeah. I think the other thing, too, is at least speaking in terms of horror films, you know, these days, these, these days people don't what, what pass for horror films these days, 99 percent of the time are, are not horror films because you don't want to disturb anybody. If you disturb the audience too much, they might not come see your movie. So well, I think that it, there's the element of horror films have become just big trope machines and not don't have a big idea behind them or an interesting right. idea or philosophical idea behind them anymore, seemingly. And of course, that's not always the case, but I think that's there's a lot to that where horror has just become this factory, just this factory built sort of thing, and they just use the same tropes over and over again. And you might even see some of this stuff um, in your VH. I don't watch any of those anthology, you know, uh, horror collections, but perhaps you do see some of this stuff in there. But you know, it, it's almost just an homage to Alien or The Brood or. It feels like everything's in this postmodern age. Everything's become such an homage or something that maybe it's not a fresh enough idea for people to notice anymore. Mm, yeah, it's true. All right. Well, so we will uh, save the corridor. We we actually should have a couple of seconds of the of the corridor, but we'll save that for the next minute and we'll move there. Right? Unless you guys have anything else. No. All right. No, well. That's going to do it for minute number 57. Uh, of course, you can visit us over at alienminute.com um, or follow us on iTunes. Subscribe to us there or on Stitcher or Google Play. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod or on Instagram at the Alien Minute Podcast. And we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 58. <laughs>